To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Today on the podcast, state legislators just got a ton of money for the environment and more specifically to fight climate change. What are they going to use all this money for? And will some of them not use it at all? Hello, and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So we all know there are a lot of environmental provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act, also known as the IRA or IRA depending on whichever one sounds better to you. The tax breaks in the bill, especially for electric vehicles, got a lot of the headlines. But there was also a lot of money for things less glamorous than a shiny new Tesla, things like efficiency in buildings and air pollution reduction. And a big chunk of that money is going directly to states. But what about the states that don't really think climate change is a big priority? How are they going to spend this? Are they going to spend this? We're going to get into that today with Zach Bright, a Bloomberg Law reporter who just wrote a story about what legislators in Annapolis, Olympia, and St. Paul want to do with their new climate bucks. Zach says climate hawks in Democratic-leaning states are pretty thrilled with this infusion of cash, even if they have some misgivings about how IRA ultimately turned out. And he started off by outlining exactly what type of funding is in this bill for states. Yeah, well, there's definitely a lot of stuff in this bill overall. Um, The things that I focused on in my article where I looked at how state legislators might levy some of that money and what they're most interested in, um, one of the things that stuck out were two $4.3 billion programs to kind of electrify buildings, retrofit buildings. And then there was also an additional billion dollars for building code upgrades. And then uh, some other pots of money that they were interested in were $5 billion for states, municipalities, tribes, air resources boards like they have in California to develop emission reduction plans and to implement them. And then $7 billion for um, low-income and underserved communities to actually implement technologies that reduce carbon emissions. Something that caught my ear just now is electrifying buildings. Uh, What does that mean? I mean, I know it doesn't mean giving buildings electricity because most buildings have electricity, but what, um, you know, does that mean removing, you know, fossil fuel burning heating systems in buildings and and replacing them with electric? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely part of it. A lot of buildings still, you know, don't have heat pumps and heat pumps are a more energy efficient way of heating a building. Um, So that's part of um, what they want to do. And weatherizing buildings can also be helpful to prevent, you know, heat from going out on cold days and the cold from going out on hot days. I see. Um, And that helps toward that energy efficiency. The whole idea is if you, you know, make a building run on electricity and then you clean up the source and you have all that power coming from clean energy, then you don't really have any emissions. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And you also spoke with the state lawmakers who are looking at this money and sort of already making designs for what they want to do with it. Can you tell me about who you talked to and sort of what they want to do? Yeah, definitely. So I talked specifically with three state legislators, um, Maryland Delegate Lorik Charkudian, Minnesota Representative uh, Fueli, and then um, Washington State Senator Christine Rolfus. And um, it was really great to talk to all three to get these different perspectives um, on like how exactly they'd implement the IRA. But I mean, overall, 
one caveat that's important is that this is very much in the beginning stages. This law was signed very recently. When I talked with these state legislators, you know, they were very excited overall, I would say. But at the same time, they weren't exactly sure what they were going to do. But there was definitely some talk about possibilities. And some of those possibilities, um, you know, when I spoke with uh, Delegate Charcutian, she had said that um, maybe it could mean bigger offshore wind goals for Maryland. Um, or, you know, Representative Lee had talked about um, really benefiting the low and um, middle income families, often people of color, he said, in his Minneapolis district. Senator Rolfus from Washington had said, that that could really, you know, tie in well with the state's already existing um, cap and invest program. That makes sense. And we should, or I should say, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Delegate Charcutian is uh, my delegate. She represents me, so I am her constituent. Um, but I want to focus on what uh, Delegate Lee said about uh, sort of focusing on low-income residents. You know, this is a concept known as, as climate justice. Um do you think that a lot of this money will go toward that, toward sort of helping people who are uh, from disadvantaged communities weather climate change? Yeah, I think there's definitely like an intentionality within the bill. And these um, state legislators as well seem to have like a very, you know, um, strong recognition that when these climate investments are actually put into action, they need to actually benefit low and middle income communities because oftentimes those are the ones who... Um, don't really get the benefits and who are even overburdened by pollution. You know, for example, with the whole um, vehicle electrification movement, the idea that, you know, we, we need more electric vehicles and less uh, gas-powered ones, mm -hmm. you know, one of the big pushes there is to kind of allow your everyday family to buy into that market because right now it's 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 very difficult if you wanted to get an electric vehicle to do that. And, and the IRA does include provisions to do that. And that... that would be individual rebates for citizens. So that wouldn't even have to go through the state. That's kind of something that is implemented um, directly from the top down. That makes sense because, you know, there has been a lot of talk about this provision in the bill that would make it, you know, easier to get tax breaks for electric vehicles. But, you know, a lot of these uh, vehicles are out of reach for many, many people. Um, it sounds like there are also provisions in the bill to make sure that you know, that's not the only kind of thing that, uh, you know, is going to be happening with this money. Right. Yeah, there's definitely other um, investments as well. Like I mentioned earlier, there's a billion dollar investment um, toward building hood upgrades. And then um, more specifically, there's seven billion dollars dedicated toward low income um, communities to make sure that they can actually harness all these different technologies that includes electric vehicles, but then also that includes, you know, building retrofits and just everyday needs that really focus on reducing carbon emissions. So. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. 
Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So you spoke to um, lawmakers from Washington, Maryland, and Minnesota, which are all pretty blue states, or in some cases, you know, very, very blue states. Uh, and you know, these are all Democratic uh, politicians. And the interesting dynamic that you had in your story is that they were all pretty excited about, you know, potentially using this money for climate goals and for environmental goals. But they also were a little bit ambivalent about the bill itself because, you know, as we actually talked about in our last episode, it also gives a lot of concessions to the fossil fuel industry. Can you tell me a little bit about the ambivalence there? I mean, they're, it sounds like they're 99% happy, but not 100% happy. Yeah, that's exactly what Delegate Charcutian said. You know, she's happy with 99% of the bill um, and she's celebrating that. But at the same time, um, you know, she mentioned, and then the other lawmakers had mentioned, you know, there there are things in this bill that could be better. First of all, you know, Senator Rolfus mentioned that it might be better to have, like, a national pollution framework. She talked about how in Washington they have a cap-and-invest program. It's similar to California's cap-and-trade program, and all the West Coast states, Washington, Oregon, and California, have programs like that. But there isn't one at the national level. She was saying maybe something like that could be considered as a regulatory framework. There's a lot of carrots in the bill, but maybe there could be more sticks. And then um, in terms of like the oil and gas leasing as well, you know, that can have really big impacts for frontline communities that Delegate Charcutian and um, Representative Lee had both pointed out, you know. Yeah, that's just something that they have to bear in mind. And they, they definitely understand the political necessity of getting this bill forward. But at the same time, you know, they think it could have been better. So finally, this is something that I really want to dig deep into. Um, again, as we mentioned, you know, this is what lawmakers in blue states are, are wanting to do. What about in red states? You know, this is, uh, you know, there are some states where Republicans are in control and climate uh, measures, you know, climate mitigation is not really their top priority or any <laughs> priority. Are they, you know, going to be using this money or are they going to leave it on the table or are they going to be using the money for something that the bill didn't intend them to do? I'm really interested to hear what is going on there. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting question. And that's actually something I kind of pursued in further reporting that wasn't part of this story. Um, I talked with a couple mayors and I'm going to continue talking with some mayors who are really interested in climate action. Um, but the catch is, is that they're from states where the legislatures and uh, the governor's mansions are controlled by Republicans. Sure. So, for example, I spoke with um, Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway from uh, Madison, and she's in Wisconsin where, mm -hmm. you know, there's a Democratic governor, but the Re Republicans control the legislature. And she was saying, you know, it actually turns out that there was some foresight to a degree 
um, in that kind of situation. You know, what comes to mind for me is when um, states received the option to expand Medicaid and some just chose not to. And yeah. that, you know, yeah. that kind of implement- implementation problem is certainly possible with some things. But in general, um, the way to circumvent that is to either A, um, make those benefits flow directly to people. So things like the um, electric vehicle tax rebates, for example, those don't have to go through the legislature. And then also um, things can be implemented directly by federal agencies and then they wouldn't have to go through the legislature. But that's not to say that there's nothing that uh, state legislatures might prevent. So one instance that um, Mayor Rhodes conway had cited was that in Madison, if they wanted to, for example, make building codes uh, stronger than the state standards and make them more efficient to reduce carbon emissions, they couldn't do that at all because the state um, has law on the books that says you can't um, exceed our state standards. Right. That's really interesting. So it sounds like when Democrats and the president were crafting the bill, they anticipated that there would be some states that wouldn't be on board and they inserted measures into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the case. Um, and, and in blue states, like in Maryland, for example, they passed a climate law um, back in April, and this money pairs really well with that. Um, so for states that are willing to act on climate, this is going to be a huge help um, to reaching those goals and make things actually achievable. For the states that might not be interested in climate, might think climate is not an issue at all, for those um, legislators and um, executive office holders, you know, the there are still things that can be done, just maybe not everything, maybe not every tool in the toolkit. But you and that you know, you contrasted this with the infrastructure bill that was passed uh, last year, and how almost all of the money from that bill did go to to states. Uh, whereas in this case, it's you know a lot more varied. I think was that that sounds like it was intentional. Yeah, I think um, I, there was some intention there. I I can't speak to sure you know totally like. Um, who exactly created those designs, and that that is actually something I'm trying to um, find out. What I can say is the infrastructure bills are really interesting comparison because um, that the infrastructure law gave states a lot of money, and at the time, a lot of state legislators thought, "Well, this is all we kind of have to combat climate. You know, we have to tailor this, you know, spoon into a fork and use it to eat." And yeah. now they have a fork, which is the IRA. So I don't sure. know if that's a, maybe the best analogy, but they have a tool that's very precise and those funds ha- have to be for climate. So I don't think, I think it's less likely you would see a situation now where um, state legislators might take this money and use it for priorities that aren't based on climate change because they kind of have to if they want to use it. That makes sense. All right. Spoons, Forks, and Zach Bright uh, here talking about the new... IRA Inflation Reduction Act. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. And that'll do it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at environment, just that at environment. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Zach Sherwood and Chuck McCutcheon. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks everyone for listening. Have you ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? Have you ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered, what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are? And how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe over at On the Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. 
On the Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now. And we feature the finest journalists covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law newsroom. You can hear it wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.